All right, Mark chapter 9. We made a start in this uh, chapter last week uh, when Billy was preaching. Um, and we were, so to speak, on the mountaintop. If you were here, you remember that Billy was preaching about uh, Jesus being transfigured, his clothes becoming radiant white, very impressive. Then Moses and Elijah appeared, which is very special. And then um, a cloud that overshadowed them, and even a voice from heaven that they could hear with their ears. The voice from God, this is my beloved son, listen to him. So Peter was there, and James was there, and John was there. They could see this with their own eyes, right in front of them, and they could hear this with their own ears. In fact, they didn't need to believe this, because believing faith relates to things that you cannot see. That's why you need to believe it. This happened right in front of their eyes, right? Once you see it, you don't need to believe it. So that was a mountaintop experience. Have you had those experiences where God is so real to you? Maybe a very specific prayer that was answered? Or a situation or a sequence, a series of situations where it is so obvious to you, man, this is God. God is at work here. You still might need faith to see it that way. But somehow it is so obvious that you don't find it difficult at all to believe this is God at work in your own life or maybe in the life of a family member or a friend. Maybe you have even heard the voice of God audibly in your ears. I don't know. Could be. So I would call that a mountaintop experience, right? Just as the disciples. It happened right in front of their eyes. And when that happens, and I hope you have experiences like that, I, I can list a few in my own life. And you're like, wow, that was convincing. That was profound. God is real. And then you're, you're very thankful. Thank you, Father, for, for doing this in my life. And at that moment, you, you feel like, okay, from now on, I'm never ever going to doubt whether God is real, whether he exists, whether he takes an interest in my life. From now on, I know this. It might be an experience similar to what Hagar had in the book of Genesis in the Old Testament. She is out there in the desert, I think. And then the angel of the Lord himself appears to her, speaks to her, and Hagar is like, wow, you are a God of seeing. Truly, here I have seen him who looks after me. It's great when you have an experience like that. But here in Mark chapter 9, let's turn there, the text continues in verse 9, we stopped there last week, verse 9, and as they were coming down the mountain. You see, you may or you may not have a mountaintop experience. After all, only three disciples were on the mountain. Nine of them were at the foot of the mountain, 
they didn't get to see it. Only three of them saw it, and the other nine, they never saw what happened. And these three that saw it, Peter, James, and John, they also came down from the mountain the next day. So here, where we continue in verse 9, we have 12 disciples at the foot of the mountain, back to normal. And isn't that what really the larger part of our lives is about walking by faith and not by sight? We're not on the mountain all the time. Most of the time, we are down in the valley. We just live our lives, work five days or six days, five and a half, go to church on Sunday, and suddenly, as you're driving, maybe, or mopping the floor or watching the news and wondering what's going to happen to this coronavirus, you start to question, is God really there? Is this book really true? Is he really that God who lives and sees me? So we're talking about doubts. Doubts maybe in the back of your mind just sitting there and sometimes you can just <laughs> brush it off, get, get busy with work or other things. And sometimes you can't brush it off. It overwhelms you for days or weeks or months. And then everywhere around us there is a lot of skepticism which doesn't really help. Science, philosophy, history, atheism and lots of different religions all sorts of people believing different things and you start to wonder am I just being very naive believing all this stuff that Christians are supposed to believe is the world everybody else confused and am I right or is it the other way around am I the one and we as a group meeting happily on a Sunday. Are we being confused? Have you been there? I have. Quite often actually. Because when you are like myself, six or nine or eleven, and you ask Jesus as a child to come in your heart, your faith is childlike and very sincere and Thank God he does answer to that faith. Jesus did come into my heart, but the teenage years had yet to come. And then after that, you're exposed to the academic world. And all sorts of intellectual questions arise and then you get married and then your marriage get rocky. Might even end up in a divorce. Or you fall sick, or there's relatives or friends that fall away from the faith. You see, as we go through life and go through all these experiences, our faith is being challenged all the time. And then the question is, is God really there? And if he is there, is he really like what my Sunday school teacher taught me? Is he really that safe and good? and caring and am I really really his child 
See, by now, our mountaintop experiences have all faded and we have come down to the bottom of the mountain and we find ourselves in a dark valley. It's a very gloomy picture just now. With lots of struggles and lots of doubts. And you also feel very alone. The question is, how do we find Jesus when we are in a valley like that? Let's read Mark chapter 9, starting from verse 9, and then we read through to verse 29. Mark 9, verse 9. And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them, that is Jesus, to tell no one that what they had seen, until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. And they asked him, why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? And he said to them, Elijah just come, does come first to restore all things. And how is it written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I tell you that Elijah, Elijah has come, and they did to him whatever they pleased, as it is written of him. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them, and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed, and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you. For he has a spirit that makes him mute, and whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, O oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, If you can, all things are possible for one who believes. And immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out. And the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could he not cast it out? And he said to them, This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. It is quite obvious from the text that there is a crisis of faith here. Verse 19, O faithless generation, 
That's what Jesus says. Verse 24, I believe, help my unbelief. Verse 28, the disciples ask, why could we not cast it out? And the answer is a lack of prayer. And if you read the same account in Matthew, it says a lack of faith. Matthew 17, verse 20. So let's look at the, at the passage. The disciples come down from the mountain and straight away they run into a crowd and into lots of arguing. And that is typical for this valley of doubt that we're talking about. There's a lot, lots of voices. And then Jesus asks in verse 16, what are you arguing about? And that is actually a very good question. Obviously, because Jesus asked the question. What exactly is your problem? Because when you are in a valley of doubt, it feels like there is a thousand questions in your head. But it's very often, when you sit down and think about it, it all comes down to just a handful of questions. Or maybe even just that one single question. where everything else circles around that one single thing or maybe two or three but definitely not a thousand there's this uh, man Rafi Zacharias he's quite a great name in Christian apolo apologetics and he mentions that in all his traveling and public speaking in many universities he says it's really just 20 questions that we keep getting all the time not a thousand 20 What are you arguing about with them? What exactly is it? Try to define that for yourself. And then here in the text, there's one man that speaks up. It is the father of a demon-possessed child. He says, teacher, I brought my son to you. And you can almost, the text doesn't say it, but you can almost hear him think, but you were not there. Jesus, where were you? Where were you when I needed you? This is what Mary says in uh, John 11. I think the story is familiar when Lazarus, their brother, died. Mary says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. So Jesus wasn't there when this father came with his son, with his problem, this demon-possessed son. And Jesus wasn't there when Lazarus was sick and when he died. But there's one thing that we can be sure of. It is not because he doesn't care. I think when you read the story in John 11 about Lazarus being sick and then dying, it is very obvious that he does care. The shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus cried two words, is in that chapter. He cried at the grave of his dear friend. He did care. And here in this chapter, we will also see that Jesus does care. So the disciples couldn't help this man. Because since Jesus wasn't there, the father went to the disciples. But they couldn't help. And Jesus points out where the problem was. It was because of a lack of faith. 
on the side of the disciples, I believe. And then he says, bring him to me. So they bring the boy. And then the spirit, that demon, when he sees Jesus, reacts very strongly by throwing this boy on the, on the ground in something that looks like an epileptic fit. He's rolling on the ground and foaming by the mouth. And what would you think that would happen now? Here's Jesus. He had just shown his glory on the mountain. And he comes down the mountain and his disciples are useless, but here's Jesus. So you would think he would just step forward, maybe raise his voice so that everybody could hear and just command that spirit to go out of this boy. But he doesn't do that. He's not asking for a big stage but quite the opposite. Instead, he asked the father, how long has this been happening to him? It's a wonderful question. And when we read about Jesus, we should read carefully and pay attention to details like this because his beauty is so obvious when he calls that, when he mentions that, or when he asks that question, how long has this been happening to me? There's so much love and care and close in that simple question. I think that all the fear and the pain and the desperation of this father seeing his son suffer, and Luke says it was his only child, in the power of a merciless demon that was trying to kill him in water or in fire. All that agony was summarized in that question. How long has this been happening to me? Can you see that Jesus does care? But if that is the case, then why does he seem absent? Because the father said, I brought my son to you, but Jesus wasn't there. Why is he so often, it seems, in our own lives even, absent? If he cares, why does he not respond? Why are my prayers not answered? And then the atheist, of course, he will say, well, that's obvious, because there is no God. Therefore, all that you hear is crickets. But I say, even if all that you hear is crickets, that is still a proof that God exists. Just look around. This morning I was walking outside. A lot of crickets there. Very noisy. Who made those crickets? And the birds. And the flowers. Babies. Look up to the stars. The past week we have had very clear night skies. Did you, did you notice that? Do you sometimes look up to the stars? Very clear. The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. Creation shouts that God is there. And if he does not answer my prayers, that does not mean that he did not hear my prayers. Could it be that he is silent for a reason? 
could it be that he keeps silent because he actually cares? Because he cares more about you and me than about our problems. Do you get what I mean? Could it be that he cares more about you and me as persons than about our problems? You see, so often we want a Jesus that will just turn up every time that we need him to fix our problems or to make us happy when we feel sad or lonely. We want a Jesus who proves himself that he is real each time and we doubt him and then nothing happens. He doesn't even seem to be there. Complete silence. <laughs> Could it be that he keeps silent because he loves you? Because he wants you to look for him. And I get that from Song of Solomon. There is uh, the bride in the Song of Solomon and she rises from her bed to open the door for her beloved. And she says, Songs of Solomon 5 verse 6, But my beloved had turned and gone. I sought him, but found him not. I called him, but he gave no answer. And then what happens, the bride goes after him. And not only that, she also calls upon the daughters of Jerusalem, if you find my beloved, tell him that I am sick with love. Do you get the idea? The bridegroom knocks the door, then when she opens, he has disappeared. And then the bride goes out to search for him with all her heart. And she doesn't do that alone, but even the daughters of Jerusalem are involved in finding that bridegroom. What do you think would bring more joy to the heart of Jesus, to the heart of our bridegroom? What would bring more joy? Waking up 15 minutes before leaving the house and as you drink your coffee, pray, Jesus help me today, amen. Or wake up early, take time to seek the Lord with your whole heart. There's this uh, brother, his name is uh, Anne van der Bel. He is the founder of Open Doors that also is producing this watch list that we have been using in the past few weeks. In the English-speaking world, he's better known as Brother Andrew. He said, if you don't seek God actively and aggressively every morning, it is very unlikely that you will bump into him in the course of the day. If you don't seek God actively and aggressively every morning, it is very unlikely that you will bump into him in the course of the day. And that is not so much Brother Andrew who made that up. I read something similar in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6. It says, without faith it is impossible to please him, that is God, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who diligently seek him. So there's two things in this verse in Hebrews, faith and seeking diligently. 
Jesus is looking for faith. We want to see first. That is how we are. See first and then believe. Similar to this father in this chapter. If you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us, said the father. And Jesus says, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Believe first, then see. And then comes the paradox that I am very familiar with in my own experience. The father cries out, I believe, help my unbelief. Strange, right? I believe, help my unbelief. Sounds like a very weak and fragile sort of faith. It's a paradox. Yet, Jesus helps and sets the boy free, commanding the spirit to come out of him and never enter into him again. See, when we come to Jesus for salvation, he doesn't ask for a lot. It's not the strength or the size or the solidness of our faith that saves us. Not the quality of our faith, but rather the object of our faith. It is Jesus who saves us. And therefore this boy also was delivered once and for all. But then once we are saved, once we are children of God, Jesus wants our faith to grow come stronger. We must believe, says Hebrews, if you want to please him. And we must seek him diligently. And therefore these disciples could not help this father because of their little faith. They asked him in the end of the passage, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer and in Matthew, it will also mention that their problem was their little faith. And prayer and faith are of course related. When we pray, we pray with faith. So Jesus said here, pray fast in some manuscripts, as you read the footnote, praying and fasting. That is this active and aggressive seeking of God. I mean, aggressive in, in a positive way, but intentional, I want to find him, that sort of aggression. And in Hebrews 11, verse 6, there is that promise. God promises that he rewards those who diligently seek him. So, doubts. I think it is something very common even great men of faith, heroes in the Bible and in Christian history, they had doubts. May I suggest four things? And that's based on Hebrews 10, 11 and 12. That might help in seasons of doubt. The first thing is meet with believers. Do not skip church. Talk about it. You are not alone. You feel very alone in this valley of doubt. But you are not alone. Hebrews 10 verse 25 will say, Do not skip, skip meetings. Come to church. Speak to your fellow believers. You are not alone. The second one is, 
Hebrews 11 verse 6, we looked at that verse already, seek God aggressively, very intentionally, through prayer and reading his word. There is a reward that God promises. And then thirdly, do things. Hebrews 11 is this whole long chapter about the heroes of faith. Why were they heroes of faith? Because by faith they did something. Something that demonstrated their faith. They would step out in faith and do things. And it is that sort of faith that God wants to reward. And then number four, Hebrews 12, verse 1. Lay aside every weight and sin. Weight, I would think, is not so much responsibilities. We are not asked to just lay aside all our responsibilities. Of course not. But weight is this burden that you are carrying that you are not supposed to carry. Burdens that are not for you. Lay aside those weights and sin. Whatever you know is wrong in your life is a very serious stumbling block in your journey of faith. Lay aside every weight and sin. And you see, these four things you can do in that valley. You don't need to be on a mountaintop to do that. Right where you are, you can practice these four things. Meet with believers, seek God through prayer and reading His Word. Do things and lay aside every weight and sin. Because the fact is, a mountaintop experience in my, own, in my own experience, how long does it last? How long does it actually help you in your spiritual life? A few days, a week? Depends how intense it was. I think the experience that Peter had, seeing Jesus transfigured, he never forgot that. At the end of his life, he will still talk about it. In some ways, it never faded. For me, these mountaintop experiences, they fade away. But the Word of God does not fade away. And in fact, that is also what Peter says. And we will turn to that passage in Second Peter to close with. Second Peter chapter 1. That is that same Peter that was on the mountain with Jesus. He is now an old man writing his second epistle. And he will emphasize what I have also found true in my own life, that when I choose to go back to this word, the word of God, I find that it is very accurate and very convincing. As I said, Peter had that mountaintop experiences, experience with Jesus, and it never faded. And he will say, 2 Peter 1, verse 16, for we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, 
for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention, as to a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So Peter says, I had that mountaintop experience. I was an eyewitness of what happened on that mountain. And not only that, he was also an eyewitness to the resurrection of Jesus. He saw a risen Christ right in front of him, who talked to him. And he was willing to die for that truth. And in fact he did. But he says here, that mountaintop experience that I had only serves to confirm the prophetic word. It's not meant to replace the word of God, but to confirm it. And that is the word, the same word of God that you and I have. And I think that is what Billy also stressed last week. What we have is more than what Peter had. His experience was only meant to confirm what we have here. And that is in fact what Jesus, or what God also said on that mountain. The voice that came from heaven said, This is my beloved son. Listen to him. How do we listen to him? Here. The word of God. I'm closing with one illustration. If you look around, maybe out in the open, you have every reason to believe that this planet is flat. Right? As far as you can see, or you, you look over the ocean, as far as you can see, it's all flat. And yet you know that you are standing on a sphere that is actually spinning like mad in a universe. How do you know that? Well, that is based on an authority that rises above your own perspective. Yet there is quite a group, and they call them flatties, that believe that this planet is actually flat. And yet you know, whatever I observe is not the whole thing. You know that based on an authority from all sorts of photographs and outer space, whatever, all sorts of things confirm this is not a flat planet, although it looks like it. For our spiritual lives, the Bible gives us that other perspective. The Word of God is that authority that rises above what we can perceive. And so God is not silent. He speaks through creation, through his word, and in his son, Jesus. And he wants to be found. He wants to be known intimately. He wants us to go after him. I read yesterday that um, 
in answer to this question, why is God not more obvious present? And the answer was that because of this desire to be found, to be loved, to be known intimately, it is obvious enough for us to go after him, but for those who do not want him, he be hidden. He wants to be found. He wants to be known intimately. So let's go after him. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you for your word. Help us to read it. It is not an easy book. And we thank you that you have given us to each other as a church to help each other to study your word. And we pray that it will be our experience that when we open your word and when you yourself through your spirit open our eyes to it, that we will see the truth and the beauty and the relevance and the accuracy of your word, that we will see Jesus himself Father, we pray for those of us who struggle with doubts. It's a very disturbing experience, a very lonely experience, overwhelming sometimes. We pray that you will help us to come out of that stronger and more in love with you. And we also pray that as a church we will be of help for each other, that none of us is walking alone. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.